Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The murder of Nikki, Janelle Enriquez. Brutality at the border. Saturday, September 15th, 2018. Laredo, Texas. Warning. The following episode you're about to listen to will contain audio evidence of misgendering. Listening discretion is advised. Border Patrol agent Juan David Ortiz remains behind bars tonight, accused of murdering four women in Laredo in the last two weeks. Authorities are calling him a rogue agent and a serial killer. They say he preyed on some of the most vulnerable members of the community. Eyewitness border reporter Oscar Margain has more. Local and state police are seen in this cell phone video surrounding a Laredo hotel late Friday night as they move to capture 35-year-old Juan David Ortiz, a 10-year veteran of the Border Patrol and who authorities say is a confessed serial killer. Uh, he was apprehended without incident. His alleged crimes and his arrest detailed during a press conference Monday where Webb County investigators revealed Ortiz targeted women who shared a similar profile and who were all shot and their bodies dumped in remote areas. These uh, victims uh, would engage in either uh, drug use or sex workers. Investigators say Ortiz knew the four victims. The first, found on September 3rd, identified as 29-year-old Melissa Ramirez. Ten days later, the body of 42-year-old Claudine Loera was discovered, while 28-year-old Humberto Ortiz, also known as Janelle, and a fourth victim not yet identified, were found around the time a fifth woman escaped from Ortiz's custody and flagged down a DPS trooper. It's a vulnerable community, a community that, that is defenseless and has really little or no credibility. Also in attendance, the chief of the U.S. Border Patrol, Carla Provost, whose agency has come under fire, with this case being the second murder and the third shooting death involving a Laredo agent in six months. We have a peer support and a chaplaincy program, um, as well as a veteran support program. I'm meeting with all of those individuals, uh, the leadership team here, and these are, are some of the things that we are working on to see how we can better support our men and women in the area. Provost assured the Border Patrol maintains high hiring standards and referred to the suspects as rogue agents. Ortiz was placed under indefinite suspension without pay. The accused murderer, who's under a $2.5 million bond, signing off that night with a farewell message to his wife and kids. Meanwhile, police are combing through a pile of evidence as they try figuring out the motive behind the murders. 
It's Saturday, September 15th, 2018, in the city of Laredo, Texas. It would be the home where 28-year-old trans-Latina female Nikki Janelle Enriquez would reside. And by that Saturday, when she hadn't been heard from for more than several days, her family became suspicious. And as they were preparing to file a missing persons report, what would be unfolding beside them would leave the city of Laredo shocked. It all began on that Saturday when an unidentified woman by the name of Erica Pena, that's her alias, had narrowly escaped. Welcome, my audience. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of A Hateful Homicide. But this all began around that Saturday when Erica Pena was in the car with a cisgendered male by the name of Juan David Ortiz. He, a border control agent for more than 10 years, had frequent um, an area within the city of Laredo that was known for sex workers and drug trafficking. And being a frequent flyer, quote unquote, over there, he was in the car with, um, again, alias Erica Pena. Um, and she became suspicious about the fact that several of her friends who were also sex workers had began um, to disappear, including 28-year-old trans-Latina female Nikki Janelle Enriquez. Well, when Erica questioned David, as he was referred to in the streets of Laredo, about the disappearance of her friends, especially one of the bodies had begun to resurface in these woods um, behind Interstate 5 in Webb County. So as they're having this conversation, what happens next was shock Erica and even the law enforcement agency. One, David Ortiz pulls out a gun and tries to shoot her. She narrowly flees with her life. She finds a state trooper not too far from where she had escaped and reports this harrowing and terrifying event that occurred and ultimately and essentially led law enforcement, the Webb County Sheriff's Department, to one day Ortiz. As you could hear in the initial um, audio, he had already knew that the jig was up. This Erica was the fifth woman of his fourth victims that he um, confessed to murdering. And, you know, by the time all of this was unfolding and the fact that this revelation included a border patrol agent, someone who was supposed to protect the city of Laredo and yet is murdering these sex workers and these, you know, women who are, you know, again, the most vulnerable and marginalized community. It completely left this entire town in shock especially once law enforcement arrived over at the Indigo Hotel, which is where one David Ortiz was housed. He had also sent that message from his cell phone um, through um, Facebook regarding, I love you kids and my wife, and please know that I'm always with you. Because one David Ortiz, my audience, knew that the jig was up once Erica Pena had escaped, he knew that it was a matter of time before they tracked him down. And they did at the Indigo Motel by that Saturday evening. And so then, of course, there's this whole standoff. 
he has a gun they have weapons of course they're one of his own so they're trying to be very sensitive they all know that he has a family and so of course like a lot of us would want to know what led this border patrol agent of over 10 years in the law enforcement all of a sudden began abruptly between september 3rd until september 15th of 2018 murdering four women and almost a fifth if she hadn't escaped with her life well, my audience, the standoff began, and it was a standoff like no other. Detective Eduardo Pena, as well, similar last name, was very adamant about what was going on. He wanted to get to the bottom of this case because of the fact that they still had several victims. They did, did not know where their locations was, as well as their identities. It was important for law enforcement agencies to try to apprehend, again, 35-year-old cisgender Latino male, Juan David Ortiz, you know, to get these answers. And so fortunately, despite all the chaos at the Indigo Hotel that night, uh, they were able to essentially detain him, bring him in to the Welk County Sheriff's Department and begin to really investigate and understand what was going on. And when he sat down with Detective Eduardo Pena, this would leave them speechless. One David Ortiz had admitted in that interrogation room at the Webb County Sheriff's Department that he knew his victims. He targeted them. He felt that because they were sex workers, survivor of sex workers, that they partaked in drug activity, things that he also participated in as well, that they were somehow inferior and subpar to society and therefore needed to be removed. The irony as well as of course with him knowing his victims, they trusted him, right? They obviously had been part of a transaction with him in the past that did not result in their murder. So they felt comfortable to go in a car with him again to this alleyway where he would then unbeknownst to them and shockingly of course shoot them, each and every one of these victims in the head. And as you can hear in that initial audio, my audience, you know, there were three initially identified victims. A fourth had still not been identified and located. And that included 29-year-old cisgendered female Melissa Ramirez, 42-year-old cisgendered female Claudia Lorena, um, and then also, of course, our uh, beloved um, trans-Latina sister, Nikki Janelle Enriquez. Now... Again, initially in some of the um, audios as well as the uh, printed and digital material, there's been a lot of like misgendering of our lovely Nikki Janelle Enriquez. Interesting enough, her um, former last name was that of the same um, last name of the perpetrator, Ortiz. And so there was initially this, you know, question of if they were related and they are not. But nonetheless, um, that was a question at play. When Detective Eduardo Pena, my audience, continued to probe one uh, David Ortiz, or David as he was known to his victims, including that of Erica Pena, again, no relation to the detective. And this was an alias that was used just to protect her identity. But 
as they were, you know, getting all this information from her too, right? Because they have her in a whole separate room. This is all in unfolding on that Saturday between that afternoon of 2 p.m. Central Standard Time all the way up until literally, you know, the final hour of like 11 p.m. So they're really for like nine hours just talking to both Erica and David, getting similar stories, trying to figure out what is going on. Um, just also because of the fact too, we have to keep in mind that as you heard, that the credibility of so many of our sex workers is often invalidated. So unfortunately, there was this level of just trying to make sure that Erica's story was true. But then once everything started to come out from the words of David's mouth himself, that he had killed these four women that he knew, um, that trusted him, uh, that had participated in you know mutual sex with him, and yet he had no problem within a deciding moment that these four individuals, all um, you know, Latina females, um, some cis, some trans, but he targeted them. To give you a little bit of context of the city of Laredo, Texas, it is a border town. Literally, you can take um, just the the freeway, the the five freeway and you would be right there um, in the city of Laredo. The the street where everything typically occurred, which was on Rodeo Street, this is a frequent area where children and teens would all like obviously go back and forth from school, but by those those nights it would look very different so you would have you know kind of like a red light district that was happening you would have sex workers and patrons who were all just kind of doing their thing and you had these four women who all knew each other as well including erica pena the fifth victim who escaped all of them knew each other and had this like sisterhood of keeping in touch very similar to this this global phenomenon of text me when you get home so anytime any of these women went off with someone, especially if it was a new patron, right, new client, then they would definitely make sure that they all had a code word of like red folder. So anytime something was suspicious or there was like, you know, a conversation with the client or it seemed like, you know, he wasn't going to pay, they would of course have these conversations because of the fact that a lot of them did not have um, like that kind of support when we think of the classic sex workers with like a pimp and someone to really support them and be there. These women were very independent and self-sufficient, so they relied on each other to navigate safety. And when they started to disappear, and then as one body was uncovered, and then, you know, there was a connection to a second body, and all of these women are knowing each other, Erica Pena, by the time she got in that vehicle with David, just because of the fact the connection, as she had put it together, was like a light bulb moment for her, my audience. She remembered that each and every one of these victims were in a car with David. He was the last person to see them alive, and now they're starting to turn them dead. I think from what she had you know, conveyed to Detective Pena as well was that she didn't want to believe that it was David, she trusted him, but as she began to question him about like, hey, you were kind of like one of the last people to see them alive, do you know what's going on? His behavior became even more suspicious and even more aggressive to all of a sudden, as she was, you know, beginning to become trepidatious and a little concerned for her own safety and picking up on vibes that maybe 
he is the person that is the culprit for these hateful homicides of all four of these 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 victims who were just only trying to live their lives and and partake in sex work for whether it was their own reasoning for loving it or whether it was just to survive some of these victims were mothers daughters as well so of course they all had um, families that they were providing for as well so there was all these different motives and when you have Erica Pena in this situation with one David Ortiz, and he's now essentially pulled out his pistol, his licensed weapon that he uses at the border, right, to make sure that actual people who aren't supposed to be, you know, violating or committing crimes, he is the one who is using that same weapon that is supposed to protect from violence. He is now using that same weapon to enact violence. Once all of this came out, right, so then you now have the FBI, you have the federal government who was being involved because of the fact that you have a United States Border Patrol agent murdering civilians um, in Laredo, Texas. So they all get involved, including that of Carla Provo. She's the lead investigator for like the like the internal investigations for the um, Border Patrol services. And so, of course, um, as you could hear in that initial audio, there was a lot of conversations around the fact that this wasn't the first time that a Border Patrol had quote unquote went rogue. And now the first one who had discharged his weapon at just one person, now you have the second Border Patrol agent in the same city of Laredo, Texas now who has went on a, you know, serial killing spree within 12 days of murdering four women ranging from the ages of 21 to 42. Again, some are wives, mothers, and daughters, but still, nonetheless, their identities and their truths still revolve around sex work. What's interesting, my audience, is that, you know, this case is still unfolding. There's still a lot of pieces to be uh, to be unfolded as we continue to go through this case. Um, it has not been yet, there's not yet a finale or a conclusion right now. So um, the, the trials for his hateful homicides of all of these victims have not begun. But nonetheless, the unfolding of all these events that have just led to this this series of just violence and trauma for these victims as you're going to hear from some of these victims families in a little bit of audio later but what's really you know interesting is that as we continue to un, you know really unpack this case is that you understand the vulnerability of these victims they trusted him they believed in him and even as one and then two and then three victims all begin to disappear and subsequently found murdered um, they there still wasn't a connection to him because of the fact that he is law enforcement. So you're not even coordinating the fact that this man who is supposed to be a protector and um, savior for the community of Laredo could be involved in these heinous, hateful homicides. And unfortunately, my audience, that is exactly what happened. So all of this began to unfold and we have this series of events that all begin around on September 3rd of 2018 with the first victim of Melissa Ramirez. She, a 29-year-old cisgender Latina female, as well as a young mother, was, you know, partaking in sex work to survive, to provide for her family, for her, her children. And she had known Juan David Ortiz for years. They had a relatively decent relationship for about several years, even though he himself 
himself was married with his own children. He knew her story. He knew that she was a single mom and that she had children. So that did not even factor in when he shot her three times in the head and then dumped her on the side of the freeway, uh, 160 miles southwest of San Antonio. He then also got into, you know, the next situation, the next hateful murder, homicide of Claudia Lorena, a 42-year-old, you know, daughter, sister. She was one of four daughters. She, too, also was a mother of five. And she had gotten in the vehicle with Juan David Ortiz around September 9th of 2018 and was never seen or heard from again. As everything began to unfold about six days later when Erica Pena escaped and notified law enforcement and they were able to apprehend him at the Indigo Hotel adjacent to the Ramada Inn, they were able to find out all of this information. And then all of these victims' families started to realize what was going on. Not only were their family members being murdered, but their family members were victims of a serial killer who was a Border Patrol agent. So you have this shocking brutality at the border, this border town, and it's just leaving everyone speechless. Laredo, Texas is a predominantly Latin, Latina, Latinx community, so everyone's very close and tight-knit. Again, it is a very friendly, friendly community uh, with schools and suburb areas, but also it does have its, you know, side of town that, you know, does partake in drugs and sex work and it's more at night. But at the same time, now you have these victims who are partaking in sex work and who have now lost their lives. And we are thankful to Erica Pena, this fifth victim who was, you know, going to be next. There was no doubt he would have continued as he was telling Detective Eduardo Pena as well during this Saturday, September 15th, you know, confession that he had where he was essentially confessing to the fact that his motive, because they wanted to understand why he would go and murder these four women that he knew to some extent and um, deem them as victims who needed to be murdered. And so for him, his reasoning, as he explained to Detective Eduardo Pena, was that he started to become discontent with his life, right? He was partaking in drugs, he was partaking in sex. He said all of this was coming from the stress of being a Border Patrol agent. He was overwhelmed and so around 2015, about three years before these hateful homicides, my audience, he began to seek support and comfort in drugs. And then that supposedly led him to encountering sex workers, which included these four victims over the next three years that he would you know get involved with them and by 2018 that year he's 35 he is a dad of and, and a husband and i guess he began to find faith um, through the catholic church and was starting to question his own behavior his own morality and as he you know coined it to detective eduardo pena like God was essentially pulling him to take care of these um, immoral, quote unquote, beings. And, you know, he, you know, even down to as we dive a little bit into specifically Janelle, as she was referred to initially, and then she went by Nikki. Um, <clears throat> but as we go through this case, 
we're going to understand too that he didn't know that Nikki was trans, that she identified as a trans woman, right? So that was not part of his argument um, in terms of like why he murdered her, why he committed this hateful homicide of Nikki in particular, who was the third victim. Um, again, 28 trans Latina female. She was a daughter. She was a sister. And, you know, again, a, a native of Laredo. And she also would go and live in San Antonio as well. <clears throat> so you have all these series of events where he is confessing to Detective Pena and his reasoning specifically for Nikki's hateful homicide was along with the rest of them was one, she was a drug abuser, according to him. Two, she was a sex worker. And then also in her case, she was trans identified. So it was just like a trifecta for him with her. All four of these victims, the fourth one who um, had not been identified, um, at that time, all four of them had been brutally, my audience, shot in the head. I mean, they were literally caught off guard. They were, you know, as he stated, they were um, performing fellatio when all of a sudden he pulled out his pistol and they had not seen it coming. Why? He shot them several times, you know, the detectives wanted to know. Um, because of the fact that typically execution style murders are normally like one shot. They wanted to understand what made him kind of do this quote unquote overkill. And according to one David Ortiz, he wanted to assure that his victims were put out of their misery. Um, he stated especially specifically with the first victim, Melissa Ramirez, that she was twitching. And as she was twitching, he felt that he needed to continue to um, make sure that she was no longer suffering. So to because he witnessed that with the first victim, he just felt like that was the same MO to continue with the others. Well, so all of this is unfolding. And then, of course, we have just all these, you know, now news outlets who are just shocked and appalled by these series of events that have happened over a span of 12 days. And then you go, you know, two weeks later to around September 29th, where, you know, he's now been detained. He's still being continued to be questioned. He's, you know, all of these things are unfolding. And then other reports break out, as you can hear now. Beginning with a shocking story, a new press conference revealing more in the case of a Border Patrol agent accused of going on a killing spree in Laredo. Four victims found dead. Another managed to escape, and some of those victims are now being named. Our Jessica Goyado is in Laredo and following this very closely. She joins us now live with what was revealed at this afternoon's news briefing. Jesse. Well, we were at that news conference earlier this afternoon, and really there was a lot of new information given, especially in those days and just a matter of time before he was arrested. Now on indefinite unpaid suspension, Juan David Ortiz, 35, according to the authorities here, was expecting to be caught. They say after a potential fifth victim in his truck, he'd threatened to shoot at this convenience store, ran to a DPS trooper for help. He then drove to his house in North Laredo. At that time, of course, he had numerous, numerous weapons. Uh, he was loading up all his weapons, uh, thinking that DPS was going to confront him, and he was looking at a confrontation. Thank God that didn't happen. Twelve days later, DPS spotted Ortiz's truck at a convenience store. Right there at that point, when he comes out, you 
know, the officers, both troopers confronted him. Uh, one of them attempted to tase him, and he ran. Ortiz then tried hiding in this hotel parking garage in the bed of a pickup. And what he was going to do, he was trying to commit suicide by cop. Uh, he was going to try to use his phone to make it look like it was a weapon. It didn't happen. These are three of the victims. The fourth hasn't been named. People involved in the sex trade, they say, who Ortiz knew. But what we have right now, and what we do know, is that Ortiz carried out these murders in a cold and callous way. Well, authorities say that each one was shot multiple times in the head. Now, were there more victims? The chief here at the Webb County Sheriff's Office says that he can't say for sure yet, but as he put it, the killings have stopped. Well, now yet to be decided by the DA is whether the murder charges against Ortiz will be upgraded to capital murder, and if he's convicted, the death penalty. So as you could hear, these cases have become very serious. And one of the things that one David Ortiz, my audience, was determined to do was to die by suicide by cop. And, you know, as we continue to just, you know, unpack this case and really delve into it, it's, it's really interesting to understand the psyche, right, the psychopathy of Juan David Ortiz. Again, born in 1983, he was a native of Laredo, Texas. He was described as an outgoing, you know, kind of friendly guy overall. I mean, he had this decorated um, career as a Border Patrol agent. He began his law enforcement career around 2005 at the age of 22, and then essentially um, worked his way up into becoming a Border patrol agent relatively quickly within two years so from about 2007 until circa 2018 around the time of these hateful homicides of all of these four victims he didn't really have any you know known issues i mean he was you know known for sometimes being a little rough with certain like identified male um like perpetrators but in terms of like you know being aggressive or violent towards women um his wife as well who was shocked by all of this um his wife maria she you know stated that she had no idea that he felt this way about sex workers that she knew that he had started to become connected more to his catholic faith but certainly did not uh, feel that he would uh a, be even having an affair with sex workers, but certainly uh, murdering them too. So again, all of this was just affecting these families. Interesting enough, Claudia Lorena's um, sister, as we'll hear in a little bit, you know, knew one David Ortiz. She, you know, knew that her sister kind of knew him. Um, Claudia knew him, but uh, certainly she trusted him. And she had actually reached out to him to search for her sister as well not knowing that he was the one who ended her life so all of these things as you know families were finding out they know him all of these people essentially know each other to some degree it's really heartbreaking my audience because now you have this whole community for the past four years that are just left in this wake of tragedy and heartache including his family his children. Um, interesting enough, his wife Maria um, had actually met the first victim, Melissa Ramirez, once before. Um, and so, like, I guess their kids had kind of hung out. So it was just all these, like, really, like, just complex web, interesting enough, Webb County, 
you know, web of events that were just happening where all of these victims and the perpetrator and their families are connected. So you really have, you know, where they all have to kind of figure out their best ways of moving forward and healing. But I now want to delve a little bit into Nikki, Janelle, and Enriquez. Born in 1990, described as a bubbly, friendly, vivacious, uh, beautiful woman who just absolutely loved life. She loved cosmetology. She loved makeup. She loved being able to go dancing. She was a huge, huge lover of salsa dancing. She also loved like arts and crafts. So for example, she loved to like make costumes. And she was working on like just being as crafty as possible. In 2018, um, Nikki was 28. She was really looking forward to a future for the 2019 year. This was, you know, several between Labor Day weekend all the way up until several weeks after. This 28-year-old just had this this life full of excitement. She was um, actually designing a costume for the Halloween um party that she was invited to which would have been the following month so she was preparing for all of these events that year she was actually getting ready to you know have her first um, Thanksgiving with her chosen family that she was going to host so they were already like starting to prepare all of these things um, from you know unfortunately before her hateful homicide until the end of the 2018 year which um, sadly she was not able to experience but nonetheless her her family her chosen family and friends still continue to honor all of those events so her costume was made one of her family uh, members wore the costume for that same halloween party where she was memorialized and celebrated and then also they did get together um not necessarily at nikki's place but at a um, like just local community center where they all got together for thanksgiving her chosen family and just celebrated her as well so even though she was not physically there to celebrate with them as she um, as she had planned right unbeknownst to her hateful homicide nonetheless um, her her loved ones still continue to honor and celebrate those um those those memories that she would have been a part of and created them with her in spirit. But again, Nikki just, she initially went by the name of Janelle Ortiz. Ortiz being her her, um, her initial surname. And so again, like I mentioned earlier, that there was some confusion because the perpetrator, the, the actual you know suspect, because of the fact he has not been convicted yet, right? Um, we're gonna delve a little bit more into kind of present day 2022 conversations, but you know, he has not been technically convicted of any of these hateful homicides. Even though he has confessed, even though he has opened up about what has happened, nonetheless, there has still been, you know, there's still a trial that has to 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 be um, to be had. So right now, you know, he is still just a, a suspect. He is, you know, again held um, in the Webb County um, Sheriff's Department with um, a two million dollar bond, which he um, was not able to afford due to the fact that, um, you know, he just his income was seized. Um, after he was detained. So um, he's been sitting there for the past almost four years, um, just waiting for his trial. And of course, we'll delve a little bit more in just a, in a few minutes about the pre-trial that has begun. But again, we still have some ways to go and I'll keep you all updated on this hateful homicide that bestowed all four of these victims, cis and trans victims, as we have to acknowledge 
all of them. And this is, you know, the third case, my audience, that I have covered where we've talked about, you know, these serial killers in the very first season, right? We talked about the Mr. Charming, the Jacksonville shooter in Jacksonville, Florida, where he was only targeting trans women. But then recently we had the Janice Roberts homicide um, in Connecticut, right? The serial ripper of Connecticut, where he was also targeting sex workers and, um, you know, that, that perpetrator. And now we have this third case. And I think what's really interesting is that I want to take a moment and, and talk about two additional things. One is serial killers, but then also really our law enforcement, especially when we think of border patrol, because there's been so much contention, right, when we think of our border patrol agents, when we think of ICE and immigrants and people being detained and all of these things that have been projected in the news media. There has been such a kind of backlash, I believe, towards border patrol agents because of the stigma and, and, and discrimination that in individuals who are trying to come into the United States, who are trying to come for a better life, oftentimes are faced with this discrimination for really no reason other than the fact that they didn't have the means to come into the country legally. And so you have these 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 members um, who are trying to come into the country who are now being separated from their families who are being put into these detention centers, who are there for years to come. And so all these things have been documented. And, you know, one David Ortiz as well was talking about this in his confession with Detective Pena, where he felt like, you know, he couldn't catch a break. He felt that no matter, you know, what he did, he was always encountering some form of disrespect at the border as well because of his, um, his profession of being a Border Patrol agent. He felt that people would associate with him as being one of those ICE agents who were, you know, victimizing and, and separating families. And so, you know, all of this, according to him, was affecting his mental health. And so by 2018, you know, this 35-year-old cisgender male had, according to him, just snapped. He wanted to get things right with his faith, with his family. And that's when he felt that it was his duty to commit the hateful homicides of all four of these victims and leave them thrown into the woods with three bullets in their heads and leaving their families for several weeks wondering what happened to them, even though, and you know, and I just kind of pivoted really quickly to give you a little bit context of each and every one of these victims, despite the fact that they were sex workers and also partaking drugs, their families were very much connected to them. So when they all started to disappear, as you're gonna hear from some of these victims' families in just a little bit, they all became suspicious. They all began to question because again, everyone was so tight-knit. So regardless of how he maybe felt that these Victims were disposable, irrelevant, no one was going to miss them or care about their existence. He was completely wrong. Each and every one of these victims, families, even the unidentified fourth victim, all of these families have filed missing persons reports. They have asked to, um, you know, Border Patrol Supervisor Carla Provost, Detective Eduardo Pena, is my sister a victim of this serial killer? Was she 
part of this brutality at the border in the city of Laredo, Texas. So all of them were wanting to know what happened to their loved ones. And so what you have here is where you had this individual who was dealing with his own mental health, right? He's feeling like he's been attacked at the border every day for being associated with these ICE members who are, you know, victimizing immigrants and their families. But then also he's fighting his own faith and trying to get right with his higher power and all of this culminated and cultivated into these you know brutalities that left these four victims dead and it's unfortunate because again there was this sense of vulnerability which each and every one of them right they all trusted him they all got into his truck and rode with him for some for some of them these were you know fourth and fifth times as well so this wasn't like a second time these were like you know continuous occasions for like several years and then to abruptly you know uh, be in the act of uh, you know partaking in fellatio and you know this transaction that they had done so frequently with one day Ortiz and then for him to use that as the most vulnerable way to to kill them, to murder them, to eradicate them from their families and from society as he wanted to, is really heartbreaking. And these victims' families were very outraged and very heartbroken. They were very shocked and saddened. Again, Claudia Lorena's sister was one of the, the victim sisters. She was the second victim. Her sister was very pivotal with reaching out to David. Um, as well for his help since she knew he was a law enforcement agent, a border patrol agent. She reached out to him thinking that he could help her find her sister and in reality he was the reason that she was missing and murdered. So again, my audience, as we continue to go through this case, you know, it's just it's just really heartbreaking. But, you know, again, I just want to take a moment and give you a little bit of understanding as to how all of this unfolded, right? now. Maybe sometimes the motive uh, is, is a little more straightforward. In this case, uh, we're still developing and putting the evidence together to hopefully answer that question as to why. We do consider this to be a serial killer. Uh, it meets the, quali the qualifications or definition of being a serial killer. In this case, we have four people that have been uh, murdered. It's the first thing I thought it was a drug dealer. Like, who else would do this? It's a border patrol agent. I was like, what? Authorities arrested Juan David Ortiz, a 10-year veteran and a supervisor with Laredo Sector Border Patrol. He's facing four charges of murder and one charge of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and unlawful restraint. In September 2018, women started turning up dead on the outskirts of Laredo, Texas. The body of 29-year-old Melissa Ramirez was the first to be discovered. A rancher found her on the side of Texas Highway 255. She had been shot in the head multiple times. More than a week later, two miles east on the same stretch of road, another victim was found. 42-year-old Claudine Luera had also been shot in the head more than once. People in the streets already knew that it was her. And I was like, how? How do they know? How do they know? I called my sister at that point and I said, you need to call the cops. I said, because people are reaching out to me and telling me that this is Claudine. I said, and I'm freaking out because I don't know what's going on. I didn't, I didn't know there was a first murder. Now they're saying that this is her. And sure enough, the coroners did let us know that it was my sister. And 
I just broke down. I just felt like I was in a nightmare. Claudine was a single mother of five children and was one of four sisters. Her family says she struggled to find a path in life. So she did have her bad crowd of friends that she would hang around with. She had her good crowd of friends that were her childhood friends. And um, she started veering off, you know, towards the wrong. And she was doing fine for a few years. But then the kids, of course, started having issues, you know, that we were noticing that something was wrong, you know. And she knew this. She was already getting very, you know, flustered with all the pressures of being a mom to four little kids. I know Claudine was dealing with a lot of guilt, a lot of depression, and, you know, addiction is a monster. You know, it's sad, you know, that one person uses, but the whole family suffers. It was only about two years ago that she opened up to me and told me how bad her habit was. She opened up to me and told me, you don't understand how addicted I am and how long I've been doing this. Like Melissa Ramirez, Claudine turned to the streets for sex work, according to police. Her family took care of her children, waiting and hoping she would one day turn her life around. That day would never come. We never lost hope on Claudine. You know, sadly, he took that away from us. Whatever hopes and dreams that her children had for her, he took that away. The four people that were murdered in this case were all taken to the outskirts of, of town. They were all executed in similar fashion by gunshot wound, and all of their bodies were left uh, in, in a relatively visible area to be found, right on the, on the side of the road. Uh, very violent nature, very cold and callous manner in which the people were, were executed. There was a sense of guilt because of the way he left her. I couldn't get over that. And he left her like trash on the side of the road. I thought she didn't deserve that. Regardless of what we went through in life with her, nobody deserves that. One of the things I tell young men, well, and young women as well, but the young men... And so, my audience, as you could hear, this really impacted the families, and it's just really heartbreaking as we prepare to conclude this case that you could hear just the trauma and the suffering of each and every one of these, you know, victims' families and their loved ones. So, again, to my love bug, Nikki, Janelle Enriquez, we remember you. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever and always. Born 1990 and resting on since September 15th, 2018. Thank you all, my audience, so much for tuning in to this episode of A Hateful Homicide. My name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. You can follow us on Instagram at A Hateful Homicide. You can also follow me at Mallory Jenna 90. And again, please continue to use the hashtags A Hateful Homicide, Trans Awareness, True Crime, Suspenseful Saturdays. 
Also, just to give you like a little last minute update, currently as of February 2022, one David Ortiz did receive a pre-trial hearing and his trial is set to begin around January of 2023. I will keep you all updated as we will have a follow-up to this episode with the conclusion, but please continue to keep these victims and their families in your prayers and let's make sure we continue to say their names. Please enjoy the rest of your Saturday and stay tuned for another episode next Saturday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Again, check out our website at ahatefulhomicide.net. Thank you so much and have a great day. Bye-bye.